Hello and welcome to the one a podcast about Sikh history philosophy and culture I am Rishwajit Singh producer of the show In this episode Shabad interviews Jaskaran Sandhu about the great work World Sikh Organization has been doing WSO is a Sikh advocacy group in Canada and works to protect and promote the interests of Sikh Canadians At the time of recording Jaskaran was the executive director at WSO but now he works at Crestview Strategy as senior consultant. This episode goes into the problems Sikhs face in Canada, including recently the government's ludicrous terror report, the treaty between India and Canada and more, and talks about the work WSO has done to try and solve them with the support of the community. Before we begin, if you appreciate the work Shabad and I do to bring you the show, consider supporting the show on Patreon. We invest all money on in increasing the quality of the show and to give you the best experience possible. Go to patreon.com/theonepodcast. That's p a t r e o n.com/t h e o n e podcast. By supporting the show, you can get perks like being able to listen to the show earlier and access to monthly Q&As. Without further ado, here's the interview with Jaskaran Just Karan Singh Sandhu, welcome to the one. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so thanks so much for being on, and uh, I, I, we were hoping that you could share with us uh, some of the history of the World Sick Organization who you work for, and and the work particularly of its of its early years after its founding. Yeah, so we're actually. Um, celebrating our 35th year anniversary as an organization uh which makes us perhaps one of the oldest sick organizations in the diaspora uh outside of Punjab uh, not not many organizations have a continuous 35 year history like the WSO um and it was born in 1984 and what happened at the time uh which I'm sure your listeners need no explanation for was uh the the attack on the golden temple of Ahmed Saab and and then then the Sikh genocide uh shortly thereafter and the organization was formed uh at that really critical juncture in modern Sikh history and what they found at the time was a lot of Sikhs in the diaspora were obviously very concerned with what was happening in Punjab and what was happening uh to our institutions and to our community and to our identity and they wanted to do something about it and so what what was going on in places like Canada, United States, uh in the UK, uh in these three predominantly three countries was a lot of six were going to government uh agencies going to uh, meet their uh and and the Canadian and UK context their MPs uh, the member of a parliament um and in the in America they're meeting their congressmen and their their senators um and what they were finding was they were they were getting a bit of a reaction from those in the mainstream of surprise and and surprise not only in the context of the conversations and and the context of and of the lobbying uh but also surprise that there was no one overarching representation of Sikh interest in the diaspora because if you uh, compare the Sikh community to let's say uh, the Jewish community or the Ismaili community where we kind of share a lot of similarities and we're like a, a smaller tight knit community 
those those other communities have very strong uh, what we will call third party advocacy groups, uh, whether that's in Canada, United States, or elsewhere. The Sikh the Sikh community really didn't have that, uh, not in a cohesive way. And so what what uh, the founders at the time believed was necessary was a sort of world Sikh organization that can combine the efforts of all these individuals from across Gurdwaras or advocacy networks, bring it under one umbrella, and then essentially apply economy of scale to their advocacy. Um, long story short, uh, the WSO was formed in 1984. There was a Canadian chapter, a US chapter, and a UK chapter predominantly. Uh, it was very Canadian-centric. Um, if we fast forward to today in 2019, uh, only the Canadian chapter really exists. Um, uh, the American chapter, I think, uh, decades ago, split it off and became other organizations, the same in the UK. Uh, but the original WSO uh, organization uh, is still uh, in Canada and it still serves as, uh, realistically speaking, the only national sick advocacy group in Canada. And so how has that work evolved uh, over the years? I'm sure, you know, that's obviously a big, a, a big chunk of time, um, but perhaps you can speak generally how, how it's evolved from its early years till now. Yeah, so in the early days, um, it was predominantly concerned with the human rights violations the Sikh community was facing in uh, India uh, and uh, in Punjab. So there was a lot of advocacy and awareness building of what was happening to our people during that time in the 80s. And for a majority of, uh, I'll talk from a Canadian perspective, from, for majority of Canadians, they had no idea. And their only outlet to information from India was that of what was favorable to the, to the government of India. Um, and the Sikh community did not have the same sophistication that I think we, we feel that it has today at that time, at least. It was, it was a younger community. Uh, it wasn't as cohesively put together uh, via third-party advocacy groups. So they started generating a lot of that content from the Sikh community, and they started reaching out and engaging in uh, government relations and lobbying efforts with elected officials to start sharing the Canadian story. Um, alongside that, uh, there was a lot of international um, uh, advocacy work. Uh, for example, a, a delegation from the WSO went to Geneva I, I think it was in the 86, uh, but in the, you know, a year or two after 84 uh, to delegate on behalf of the Sikh community and to reach out to international uh, institutions, international players, uh, just increasingly trying to speak for the Sikh community because it was becoming increasingly clear that uh, the players that we had in India at the time or Punjab were not going to effectively do that in fairness to the Sikh community. And in fact, we're going to do opposite that. Mm -hmm. now, so how has that evolved over time? Uh, it's it's grown to include a lot of local human rights advocacy. So the Canadian uh, courts have seen a lot of jurisprudence and, and legal battles around uh, religious accommodation for the Sikhs uh, because of the, uh, what I guess if you want to apply Western terminology, the, uh, the articles of faith of the Sikh community uh, are very... Uh, important to Sikhs, they're, they're a part of our body, our being, uh, for those that are initiated into the faith. And that it's not, it's not you know, the, the stad is not a hat that you can take on and off depending, you know, you're entering a courthouse or something. So there's a lot of legal battles that the Canadians fought via the WSO in the early days, whether that was with the RCMP uh, in Mr. Dillon's uh, case where he would try to wear the 
the Stad as a RCMP officer. Uh, that was maybe one of the more prolific uh, cases that we was involved with. Um, we were, we've been to the Supreme Court multiple times. I think our most famous case was the Multani case, uh, where we spoke on uh, the importance of the Karpan for the Sikh identity. And, and we eventually won that case, and the Karpan was then accommodated in that case schools, uh, but that accommodation spread elsewhere. Uh, fast forward to today, uh, in Canada, uh, Sikhs are now allowed to wear Karpans on Canadian flights. Uh, you know, that was something that the WSO worked on. So there's a lot of legal advocacy around accommodation issues. Um, about, I would say, roughly seven years ago, uh, the organization went through a very large uh, succession planning project where a lot of the, the folks that were involved with the organization in the 80s stepped back and, and youth took over the organization. And it, it was a very clean succession and with, with the newfound um, youth vibrancy within the organization, there was a shift away from, not away from, but a shift to add on top of our government relations and our legal advocacy work uh, to also apply community development work. Um, and that has evolved to include things like the Sikh Youth Leadership Institute, which we hold once a year in Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada, uh, where we bring 20 of the brightest Sikhs uh, between ages 18 to 26. We fly them all expenses paid to Ottawa. We provide them a week-long leadership training, uh, and it's a competitive application process. So, for example, last year we had about 150 applications for 20 spots. So it's, it's typical of like a graduate program. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, now also do, um, uh, we have an, uh, an initiative, a community initiative called Karma Grow, which is we build community gardens, with uh, usually with Goodwater partners uh, across Canada, uh, where we build community gardens and we grow produce for uh, food bank shelters and uh, the Lunger Halls itself. Um, we have uh, the Sick Mentorship Program, which was something we launched earlier this year. Uh, we've now matched over 100 mentees and mentors, you know, students and young professionals with very senior professionals and, and executives. Um, we're providing workshops and panels on leadership professional development in their Sikh community uh, in, a, in a more you know, professional setting, you know, whether it's finance, uh, health industry, law, uh, providing those avenues so our young kids can succeed in the professional world. Uh, we have uh, the Sick Family Helpline, uh, which we actually got a lot of help from an American organization, Sick Family Center, Malika Kaur. Um, and she provided a lot of insight for us, and that's something we launched here uh, through the Sick Family Helpline, uh, which is connecting agency providers in whether it's me- mental health, elder abuse, uh, you know, youth issues uh, with the Sick community through a 1-800 hotline number. Uh, we do a lot of programming around that. Uh, there's the Ask Canadian Six, and I think we could talk about that a little bit more later, but the Ask Canadian Six media initiative where it's almost like a public relations arm for the Sikh community where we've engaged not only in online campaigns, but also we've done editorial board meetings with major uh, uh, media industry players here in Canada. Uh, We've hold panels on relevant and topical uh, topical, uh, issues uh, around the Sikh community. Recently, we did one on the terror report, uh, which was in Canada. I guess we can talk about that a little bit more detail later. Uh, so we have a lot of different community development issues that we are now running as well, uh, which is new for the organization because we traditionally played in the more uh, advocacy, uh, legal and government relations in the past. So maybe you can tell us a bit about how your story and um, how you came to be involved with WSO and and how your uh, your work, your, your, your history informs your work now, uh, with WSO. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of interesting when you force this question on somebody because it forces me, <laughs> and it forces me to go into introspection mode, and that's not something I do often, right? It's like you mm. want to put the brakes on and think about yourself for a bit. Um, yeah, look, for me, uh, I I didn't get involved with WSO seriously until I graduated from law school back in 2011, 2012, so roughly uh, eight years ago. Uh, before then. I would attend WSO related events here and there, right? There, there's an annual dinner WSO does every year, uh, Ottawa parliamentary dinner, and they do it everywhere where they bring really interesting speakers uh, like Prashant Bhushan or some of these you know, Supreme Court advocates from India. And we would, I would attend those events and they were really cool, kind of really good conversations, really cool people, but I never got involved. And one of the issues was because it was such a legal and government relations advocacy type institution, it was hard to get involved as a young guy, right? Because I had I had no value act. Like, what was I going to do? I, I don't practice law. I, I don't know anyone. Uh, what am I really adding to this organization aside from attending events and maybe taking part that way? Uh, so it wasn't until I graduated from law school uh, and I reached out to Balpreet Singh at the time, who was our legal counsel, and he's been legal counsel for about nine years now for the organization. Uh, and I said, look, I, I've just graduated law school. Um, I'm uh, now a lawyer. I would love to do pro bono work for the WSO. I, I, I'm a big believer in a lot of the legal advocacy work you guys do. Uh, because we will learn about WSO's cases in law school. Like we learn about these cases in our in our institutions, our educational institutions. And Balper's saying that immediately he's like, okay, I actually have a file. Perfect timing. Do you mind taking it? Mm-hmm. And um, at first I was like, shit, I, I didn't expect this quick of a turnaround. I don't know if I'm actually ready to do this, but well, now I've committed, so I can't back out. Um, and I apologize for swearing. Sorry. That's, no, uh, no, that's fine. That's it's, my, it's, that's it's my uh, inner Brampton okay. boy coming out. That's my inter, inner Brampton boy. Um, hey, you so, know, we got it. We got to keep it real. Yeah, we do have to keep it real. We can't be too polished. You know, we got to remember our roots. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Bob Persink, it gives me this file. It was a really interesting file. Um, it was actually two files. One was a kid at a Brampton school uh, who was forced to take his katpan off during gym class. Uh, and, it, and it kind of uh, highlights a really interesting situation where the legal jurisprudence is very clear in that this child has the right to wear his katpan. That is not the issue. And it becomes one of those things where refereeing the rules becomes uh, a bigger concern. So mm-hmm. we went in, we sat down with the teachers, we talked to the teachers, um, and a lot of your, uh, your listeners obviously can't see me. And I, I don't know if you've ever come across uh, me or other things that we've done. I'm a Munda, right? So I'm not mm-hmm. a, I'm not Amritari Singh. So it, it really threw to these uh, school administrators to see a Munda come in with this kid and start right. advocating for sick articles of faith. It really threw them off. In fact, it continues to throw people off, right? And I, I right. like it. It's kind of a bit of a curveball. Um, and I joke with Balpreet Singh because Balpreet Singh is full mana, like he's a full Singh. I'm like, Balpreet, mm. we're the yin and yang to each other. I can <laughs> enter rooms you can't and you can enter rooms I can't. And then we're effectively right. able to communicate for all 500,000 Sikhs in Canada. Um, mm. So <laughs> well, we went into that room and it threw the teachers off and like, you know, this is not a in, initiated Sikh, non-initiated Sikh uh, issue or uh, terminology that kind of floats in Canada, especially out west in BC. It, it's not an orthodox sick versus a moderate moderate sick issue. Right? This is a right. sick issue. It, it's irrespective of how we or what stage we're at with, in, in our sicky. And it, I found that such a rewarding experience. And then came a harder one. Uh, there was a second file that was handed. Was a legal case dealing with a large police force uh, in Ontario that oversees and engages with a lot of Sikhs. And what they were doing was if they uh, uh, apprehend a Sikh, 
and they're and they're taking that sick to a court appearance they were bringing them without their dishonors on so these six were going to sick uh, court appearances essentially without their bugs uh, naked and right. these are you know again amr 36 or six that are practicing the faith uh, to its full extent this is unacceptable now, regardless of whether or not they're suspects in a crime or not and at this point they're sure. not convicted of anything so it was a human rights uh, complaint it was it was at a tribunal and it was a um, we were going through a settlement uh, meeting a resolution meeting and again uh, sitting across a large police force sitting across the chiefs of police and having a strong debate about this issue uh, was so rewarding as a young lawyer and then in the end we were successful they changed the policy the policy now is now is a um is used as a precedent for other police forces and other court uh, systems and jurisdictions within Canada uh and then we also got a monetary award uh, uh for for the the abuse uh from the police and that's totally unheard of or not mm. very common in a human rights complaint scenario in Canada so mm. this was literally my first month of volunteering for the WSO and I was like this is absolutely amazing i it's one thing to see these things from the outside Uh, and it's another thing to be able to sit down in the room and actually handle the course, uh, the caseload in, in these files and these issues, and be able to work with someone as amazing as Balpreet Singh. Um, what happened next is, and please cut me off because otherwise I'm going to keep rambling. Uh, but uh, if what happened next was uh, Balpreet Singh, then a year later calls me, so I continue to volunteer. A year later, he calls me and he says, uh, "Jaskaran, we're in the process of completely renewing the board. Would you be interested in being a board member?" And at the time, I was like, I enjoyed volunteering. I was I was very engaged in a lot of other things. Uh, I was very active and engaged in like you know political stuff here and a lot of other community initiatives. And I was I was happy with where I was at. Uh, but at the same time, I was a big believer in the WSO's work, and so I got the phone call from Balpreet Singh. I said, "Balpreet Singh, let me get back to you. Right, I'll, I'll let you know if I can do this or not." And I went home later that day, and I was with my parents, and I mentioned it to them, like, "Hey, you know, the, the WSO wants me to come on their board." Yeah. And and my parents' uh, body language changed quite significantly at that point. Uh, wow. I don't come from a very sick family, right? Like my. my family is obviously they identify as sick uh, they're punjabi but they're, we're not a very religious home and okay. so for my parents the first question they asked me was if you join the wso will the government of india blacklist us from going back ah, wow and wow. I, like, that was their number one fear and i was like i that i never even thought of that uh, i personally don't care if they ah. do or don't i born and raised here my life is here Um, obviously, I care. I, I've been to uh, Punjab numerous times, um, but that was an immediate reaction from my parents. Mm. And you know, I call Balpri back. I'm like, Balpri, look, my my parents have this fear uh, about me getting on the board. I personally think it's an issue. He's like, look, our board members go back and forth to India all the time. That is not an issue. Right. Uh, but you know, we do advocate on human rights issues. We do advocate on sick rights. Uh, that's something we do. Uh, but it's you know we don't have any issues going back i myself go back all the time and but it it really flagged something for me and it's something sure. i've increasingly been exposed to over the years is that that is a legitimate fear in a lot of people not just with wso any sick related organization is a legitimate mm-hmm. fear of whether or not you know they will this put us on some list with the government of india uh but however i never looked back after that and uh what's really i find endearing about the wso is 
how incredibly unapologetic it is about its stance on Sikh issues, right? Yeah. Uh, whether that's yeah. in the diaspora or back uh, in Punjab. Well, that brings up a great, uh, you know, point, which is how do the the issues that because and I think that this fear that your parents, I think, probably quite legitimately have, um, you know, relates to the current issues that face six. Uh, in the diaspora, and also how, you know, do those connect to issues that are uh, going back on in Punjab, and, and how so, if they do? Yeah, and this is not a, this is not a new thing, right? I, I think sure. we, we believe that, um, again, from the Canadian context, uh, we believe a lot of the, the anti-Sikh narratives that have been arising, especially in the last year since uh, Trudeau's disastrous trip to India, uh, and, and it was, truly was a disaster for the Sikh community more than anyone yeah. else, uh, how badly we're thrown under the bus. And, uh, you know, the India-Canada security framework came out of that trip, which is a disaster for the Sikh community. Um, yeah. Terror report that we're continuing to fight, that which lists six now as the top five threat to Canada out of mm. nowhere, without explanation, wow. it's a total disaster. This all happened the last 12 months. And so... And we like to think this is somehow new, right? This is, this is something new that's happening to our community. In fact, uh, the Sikh community has been dealing with this for a very long time. And there's, there's a great example, actually, back in uh, 1987, uh, shortly after the WSO was formed. There was a WSO was holding an event in, uh, I believe, Manitoba. And the, a guest of honor there was Howard uh, Pauly, who, who was the premier of Manitoba at the time. And he was supposed to be attending this event. And it was the, the WSO was doing it in, in conjunction with... Uh, again, human rights awareness about what was happening in India at this time. This is like the heydays now in 87. And the the Manitoba Premier confirmed his attendance, his cabinet, his caucus, a lot of them confirmed attendance. And then on the day of, none of them attended and none of them would answer calls. Mm. And uh, the community was like, this is absurd. Like, what's going on, right? Uh, the whole community is here. This is a big event. Um, this is a legitimate event from the Sikh community. And, and none of our elected officials have arrived after they confirmed with us literally less than 24 hours ago. So a lot of these guys start poking around afterwards. And what they learn is that at the time, our external affairs minister, who was Joe Clark, um, who was a very senior member of what was then the PC government, uh, federal government, had sent a letter to the premier of Manitoba saying, you, you are not allowed to attend this event. And... Wow. This letter, this directive was sent to many others as well, from my understanding, right? going back to the history. And a great reading on this is on The Uncommon Road, uh, which was uh, Gyan Singh's book, who's the founder of WSO. He kind of goes into this a lot of details and about the story of WSO's birth and Sikh advocacy in Canada. And after they poke and prod on this, what they learn is that uh, in the Indian government pressured Joe Clark to write this letter. And this erupts into a scandal in Canada. And if you look in the Hansards, which is like the transcripts of debates at the Canadian Parliament, this was a full day debate in Canadian Parliament. This wow. event, this letter, uh, the sick issue in Canada was a full day debate. Wow. And the opposition really went at the government of the day and saying, and one of the, the opposition members of Parliament it literally said, "Is like, are you serving Canadian interests or the Indian government's interests? This, mm. this is in the Hansard, in the written records. So this is not something new. As a Sikh community, we've been fighting um, 
interference from the, the Indian government in our affairs here locally for a very long time. Uh, and we've seen now, obviously, a, a rebirth in that or, or an escalation in that, especially in light of, you know, Justin Trudeau's government and their Sikh ministers and all the Sikh MPs with Jagmeet Singh becoming leader with the overall growth of the Sikh community in Canada. We're literally either first or second, essentially almost or third, like in every single metric for a wow. minority community in Canada. Mm-hmm. This is this is threatening for uh, especially uh, for an Indian government that is increasingly gripped by uh, Hindu Vata uh, right wing nationalism on a Hindu nation and, and that is increasingly sidelining minorities in India. And we become pawns in local domestic politics in India. Right? That's what right. it is. But it's, right. it's nowhere anything new. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I think that we can see a lot of the similar uh, in the first episode uh, of the show. We talked with um, we talked about the um, the lead up to the uh, eighty four genocide um, and the the massive kind of propaganda effort on the part of the uh, central government of India um, to create this sort of um, or to exacerbate this fear uh, of, you know, of the of the sick movement uh, at the time, and, and it seems to me that, um, you know, this is beyond sort of like a, a well. It seems that this nationalistic, this Hindu nationalistic uh, current is something that can is sort of drawn upon as needed by um, uh, electoral uh, or, or by by political uh, interests in India and, and that six are often a, a visible and, and kind of easy target um, to, to make this uh, kind of case. Um, and that it, you know, it's, it, it's alarming because, um, you know, as you said, there is this, this far right movement happening in India and we are seeing this uh, sort of effort to uh, criminalize the, the descent uh, of um uh, or, or even just the very identity, even if if it's a six who are not necessarily even politically engaged. Um, so um, now, do you see um, do you see six organizing? Um, I mean, of course, there's the work that WSO is doing, but do you see six organizing uh, in Canada, maybe in the diaspora generally? Uh, however, you like to take the question. <laughs> Um, in in response to this uh, growing kind of, uh, I suppose, fear mongering, or, or um, and and how do you see it forming? What kind of organizing do you see happening, uh, including the work of the WSO? And, and um, do you see uh, do you see efforts that are working, um, and how maybe others could replicate that? Yeah. Um... Well, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you my own example. Um, back in early two thousand, there was a documentary done by the CBC uh, via Terry Molesky, who was a senior reporter with the CBC, and the CBC is like the national broadcaster for Canada, uh, similar mm-hmm. to the to the BBC. Um, and this was like a 20-minute news documentary, which absolutely maligned the Sikh community. Uh, again, mm-hmm. linked to this terror stuff. And this was early 2000. And I remember being a, a, younger, a younger kid uh, watching that and just feeling absolutely powerless to do anything about it. And at the time, I, I think I wrote to the CBC ombudsman. 
um, like this is unacceptable. I, I don't think my email or anything was all that articulate, <laughs> but like it was just one of those things where I was just like, I do not like this, right? Um, but mm-hmm. there, there was a general lack of community. I felt personally at that time, like I didn't have anyone else to connect with. And again, this is like the internet was there, but it wasn't as big as it is now, right? It's the, we didn't have the channels like we do now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess for context, say I am I'm 32, so I'm not that old. I look shit sure. for my age, but I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, so the 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 growth that we've had had as community uh, was is has been immense since then, and. And the target of that documentary, by the way, was the WSO as well. Uh, so fast forward to today, uh, we, we had um, the India trip, right? And during the India trip, we saw the Canadian media pick up essentially word for word, whatever the India media was writing about extremism or so-called alleged extremism in the Sikh community mm-hmm. uh, and taking it at face value. And they were going back to the same old guys uh, for quotes here locally that are mm. not very pro-sick, like Ojo Dasanj, for example, um, who uh, is a comrade of, of a comrade background uh, and okay. who's, who's been very anti-sick in, in the past. Mm. Um, and that's fine. You can be a comrade. I, I actually don't care. But it, he's taken very anti-sick positions uh, and done a very poor job of representing the sick community. But he's yeah. their go-to quote, and I which see. is fine. At the end of the day, by all means, you know, I, I, it's freedom of speech. Everyone can go and say whatever they want, uh, and and the media is allowed to quote whoever they want. But we were increasingly frustrated in that they weren't asking enough Canadian six their opinion. They're going back to the same old players, uh, driving the same old narratives, and that's it. Yeah. So. We responded as a WSO, we responded in the ways that we, we knew, right? We put out press releases, we, we did some interviews ourselves, we forced ourselves into the conversation. Uh, but then we also started a hashtag campaign and we had no idea what was going to happen with this. And I'll be honest, personally, I was like, man, if this fails and no one actually like takes part and it's just us talking all over again, the way that the media or government ends up looking at this then is that, well, this is just a special, special interest group. They actually don't represent the general community and we can ignore them. And so there's always that fear that like, is the rest of the community buying into this as a serious issue as we think they are? And we are always fearful that we're stuck in our own bubbles. Mm. That the hashtag we use was ask Canadian six. So this was the birth of that hashtag. And Mm. the whole point was to encourage six to start injecting themselves into the debate forcefully. Mm forcing the media to start seeing us because we know journalists and media types, Twitter is their number one platform for sources and news and leads. Hmm. Uh, So we dumped all our efforts into that. In the end, that hashtag was seen, I think, almost 3 million impressions across uh, social media platforms. Uh, We did an analysis of it. It actually shifted the quality of data from anti-sick to uh, pro-sick across social media platforms. It was a utter success. And Mm -hmm. that was just a grassroots mobilization that was setting up the hashtag campaign. We're setting up the grounds for it. We're reaching out to every network we had. We're mobilizing people across the board. We got all the Gurdwaras on board. Uh, It was very grassroots. And I think that's been the difference, especially with the renewal of the board here. And I think this is why succession planning is so important for sick institutions across the world 
is, is because you're able to maintain a tight knit um, community and you're able to uh, maintain a really strong connection with folks in the grassroots that may not have been as engaged if it was still the, you know, the old guard holding on to seats uh, just through pure inertia. So the Ask Canadian Six proved to be a really big success. Uh, you know, then we had a panel series as a result. We live streamed it. We made it very accessible. We sold out venues with it across the country, coast to coast. And I think that's the other advantage WSO has as being a strong national advocacy group is we're able to pull crowds in every major city. So mm. it becomes harder to ignore. Um, yeah. And being able to do that and replicate that for many different issues is important. And we just did that recently around the terror report. And so, I, so again, what was the outcome of the Ask Canadian Six thing? We got more people in our stories. They started quoting more people. We got editorial board meetings set up across the country. We continue to meet with journalists as a result. It had a profound impact on our ability to communicate with mainstream media. Otherwise, they were mm. just ignoring us. And we took it for granted that the community is entrenched. They know who we are. Everything is cool. But the moment that the, any pressure was applied, we were othered very quickly, uh, mm -hmm. even in a place like Canada where we, we punch way above our weight. So that's, I, I think, uh, a really good example that we kind of continued on now with the terror report. Whereas, you know, Ask an 86 1.0 was with the media, which is actually easier. The media is more responsive, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Ask 86 2.0 was with the government. And... That's proven to be a little more challenging because of, of numerous reasons. Uh, so Ralph Goodell, who is the Minister for Public Safety Canada, uh, releases an annual report that highlights the uh, major terrorist threats to Canada. So, right, they're looking at Canada specifically. And for the first time, six were included in that report. And they were included as a top five terrorist threat to the country which was outrageous for many different reasons. And this is a 32-page report. They dedicate pages upon pages upon all these other threats. The Sikh community is literally one small paragraph in 32 pages. Right. So uh, in, uh, a common joke around here now is that it's almost like these guys at Public Safety Canada were short of a word count requirement, so they just stuffed <laughs> in an extra paragraph. It, it, it's, it's completely out of place. So... It's obvious to us, and it's obvious to a lot of conversations we've had now with various folks in government and, and outside, that this was actually done as a capitulation to the Indian government, right? Just mm -hmm. to appease the Indian government, this was added. Because nothing has happened in the, over the last 12 months from the 2017 terror report to now the 2018 terror report to suggest that six are now somehow a new number top five uh, terrorist threat to the country. And they Do only... Have, oh, excuse me. Yeah, I was going to say, the only thing they allude to is 1985 Air India bombing, which was a terrorist attack, which was denounced, but that was also 30-some-odd years ago. Uh, so, and how are we now a current top-five threat, if that's the only thing you're going to mention? So uh, the advocacy around that has been very hard. There's been a lot of push. There's been a lot of mailing campaigns, emailing campaigns, phone calls. We held panels across the country. We're having a town hall with all the Gurdwaras. Uh, an immense amount of pressure. They've promised to look at the language uh, but then our issue is remains that it's not just the language, it's the fact that we're even included in the report that's problematic. This is an ongoing dispute. Uh, we're hoping that some sort of solution is, is come, uh, we come about to some sort of solution uh, relatively quickly. And do you have any indication of like the incentive that the Canadian government has to um, meet these kinds of, uh, you know, we're, we're speculating, but these types of um, demands that would come from the Indian government? 
Yeah, it, I've had this conversation with someone actually this weekend, uh, and they actually did a, a statistical analysis from Stats Canada, and because we we're trying to figure out why is why is the Canadian government bending over backwards to appease the Indian government on this, uh, especially when there's nothing here, like there's nothing here of substance, and we looked at the demographics of folks of uh, Indian origin or South Asian origin in Canada, and. There's about, if you look at Indian origin, there's roughly a million people of Indian origin in Canada. Of those a million people, about 600,000 or six. Mm. Uh, of the 400,000 that are remaining, about a big chunk of them are South Indian or Tamils who, mm. who also hate Hinduvata movements, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, and then of the remaining, a bunch of them are Indian Muslims who also hate uh, right. Hinduvata movements. Uh, and then of the ones that are just Hindu, not all of them see eye to eye with Hinduvata movements as well, right? And so this is very right. strict Hinduvata movements, but then also human rights violations in India. Like if you look at the demographics, like ninety percent of Indian origin folks in Canada are here because their ancestors or some of the people experienced human rights abuses in India. So from a purely like electoral analysis of the demographics that they're trying to play to, it makes no sense to kind of capitulate mm-hmm. government on these issues. Now, if you look at the economic impact, yes, is India a, well, I I think the heydays of India being like this rising superpower has kind of died. I I think it's not as rosy of projections as it was during the BRIC days, you know, when it was Brazil, Russia, India, China. I think it's now it's just China, right? Um, Right. So uh, the economic analysis as well, the, the amount of trade Canada does with India is minuscule, like relative to other players. I think the trade that Canada does with uh, U.S., is um, I, I think let's cue in on the scale here. I may be getting some of the numbers wrong, uh, but I think it's sure. close to like six hundred billion or something like that with the U.S. Uh, for comparison's sake, uh, trade with India is about five billion dollars. Like China, the trade is about thirty billion dollars. Gotcha. Um, though I think we do almost as much trade with Saudi Arabia as we do with India, right? Okay. So, but the Canadian government has no issue calling out the human rights violations of China and Saudi Arabia um, or challenging the Trump administration in America of, of engaging in this type of, uh, you know, if, if you're on the right, grandstanding and platitudes, if you're on the left, you know, standing strongly for the human rights. Um, yeah. They have no issues doing this except for India. And it makes no sense because it doesn't make any sense demographically. It makes no sense economically because the trade is just not there. Uh, and it makes no sense, like just empirically speaking about the issue, there is no extremism in Canada from the Sikh community. It just doesn't exist. Now, do you, is there any, does, does India have a lobby in Canada? So the government of India is a very aggressive lobby. So the high commissioner of India, the consulate general of India here, they, they are very aggressive. Uh, they are uh, relentless. Uh, they are very petty. Uh, mm. So Balpreet Singh gives an example. He gave an example of this on the panel that we just had about the terror report because this was a question as well. I think, so what are we up against? Like, uh, Don't underestimate how aggressive the government of India lobbies on these issues because for them, the Sikh voice is a great insecurity to them, right? Because uh, mm. we don't fit neatly into this, this Hindu state. Right. Sure. We, we, we're not as easily as othered as the Muslim community is by the far right in India. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're fiercely independent and sovereign in our identity. So we don't really fit into the Hindu 
um, you know, the Hindu scale as well, cleanly, right? Right. Like, so it's it's very confusing for you know these nationalists in India to kind of figure out where we fit. So we we become an easy scapegoat because we stand out. Um, so for for India, this this is a great insecurity because in the diaspora we're very aggressive on raising human rights ad- advocacy issues, and that embarrasses the Indian state internationally. Right. So this really worries them, and it worries them in the United States, it worries them in the UK, and it worries them in Canada. So an example of the the type of the the type of lobbying this government does. There was a um, Balpur Singh attended a an, uh, it was a roundtable on like religious rights. I think with a major police force in the Ottawa area, and so Balpri goes there and he sees another Sardar there, right? And another Singh, and you know Balpri asks him, "Oh, are, you know, are you from one of the local Gurdwaras?" And uh, the Singh goes, "No, no, no, I'm I'm from the the Consulate General of India." Well, Balpri's like, "Oh, okay, well that's a little interesting. Uh, I'm okay. interested to see what this guy has to say." So they sit down and you know there's different religious groups there, uh, and you know Balpri Singh goes into the here. Well, here's the importance of the Kaban and the Dastad. If you're, you know, dealing with suspects or victims from the Sikh community, these are things you got to keep in mind. Um, and then this guy's, this guy's turn comes up from the Indian consulate, and he's like, "The Indian flag is of spiritual significance to Indians, and hmm. if someone burns the Indian flag, that is a actual religious discrimination against Indians, and it must be cracked down with the full might of the Canadian law as um, a human rights violation." And hmm. Balpri's just like, this is this guy serious, right? Like the Indian flag is a like religious symbol to the same extent like Kurban and the stars are. But this was an example of on a local police force meeting on just religious wow. symbols, the Indian consulate had someone there to lobby. So they're everywhere. I'll give you another example here of here locally in Brampton. Um, and this happened during my time when I was uh, a senior advisor with the mayor's office. Uh, so I saw this firsthand from inside the mayor's office at the time. We have a cultural festival here in, uh, in Brampton called uh, Carabram, right? And it's just a small cultural festival like any other city holds a- across, you know, U.S. and Canada. Um, and, you know, different pavilions set up little centers and they have the cultural stuff and there's the cultural music and dance and food, like very stereotypical cultural fest. And... <clears throat> The this year, or this is about now, about a year ago or two years ago, um, a bunch of guys from Pakistan of Pakistani descent or Indian descent, uh, the were Punjabi got together like we're going to do a Punjab pavilion this year, mm-hmm. of like East and West Punjab together. We're going to just do a Punjab pavilion. It's going to be really cool, um, and we're going to celebrate Punjabi culture. Uh, like we're going to have bhangra, we're going to have gidda, we're going to have like Punjabi clothing, we're going to have like you know all that kind of stuff. We sure. have samosa, Punjabi food super harmless um the indian consulate general goes and meets these pavilion guys and threatens them to shut it down wow and, and then they go to the organizers of Karabram and say you have to shut down the punjab pavilion or it has to be absorbed into the indian pavilion wow and the organizers the organizers are a bunch of white guys like th- this is the right. first of all, they're baffled that the consulate general of India is here to argue about this. <laughs> like this makes zero sense. Like they have, they can't fathom this. It makes zero sense to them. And then secondly, they are, they tell these guys, look, this is a cultural festival. It's not a national festival, right? There's sure. a difference. Like we have, um, we have other communities that have cultural pavilions absent and outside of like their national pavilions. Um, right. 
know, we have a Quebec pavilion, you know, that exists outside the Canadian pavilion, right? We have a right. Scottish pavilion. We have a Irish pavilion. We have within the British Isle, we have like the Welsh pavilion. Like we have different pavilions. We have a Tamil pavilion, but you guys don't complain about the Tamil pavilion mm. being absorbed to the Indian pavilion. But we're coming here to tell us the Punjabi pavilion has to be in. This makes no sense to us. Yeah. Um, and the Indian government told them, if you guys do not shut down the Punjab pavilion, we'll take this to the prime minister of Canada and he'll shut it down. Hmm. And this is all reported in mainstream paper, in a local paper here called the Brampton Guardian. Uh, again, here's the importance for local journalism, guys. Uh, so yeah. this, was, this was all covered in the media. The mayor wrote a letter to Global Affairs Canada saying, the interference of the Indian state in Canadian sovereign affairs and the sovereign affairs of my citizens is deeply disturbing. Please yeah. do something this so this is the level of lobbying they do so just think about the kind of lobbying that's going behind the scenes with like public safety ministries and others that these governments are succumbing to this reminds me a little bit of uh you may be familiar um you know here in the states uh <laughs> when recently the congresswoman ilhan omar who's the muslim uh 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 um somali uh refugee um raised questions about uh, the the influence of the uh, APAC of the American Israeli Political Action Committee and essentially is the Israeli government's lobby and the massive efforts that are happening in the United States to criminalize uh, 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 criticism against Israel um, and how uh, anybody who's sort of the second that there's a, a anybody of note um, criticizing, you know, Israeli uh, treatment of Palestinians, which I think we can find some congruencies with um, this treatment of six by the Indian government, um, that there's this massive backlash that seems out of proportion to, like you're saying, the demographics um, and, and, uh, and, and economics that you might assume um, would... Uh, would motivate that kind of a reaction. Of course, you know, they're very different things, but I, it's, it just came to mind and it reminds me of it. Well, yeah, so I'm not as familiar with uh, that example from the States, uh, but sure. like uh, a Canadian example, like there's reports of the Iran, uh, Iranian government uh, interfering in Iranian affairs here in Canada. There's reports of the Chinese government interfering in Chinese affairs in Canada. Um, so th again, this is not unique to just India, but th there's a double standard that's kind of applied to India for some reason where mm -hmm. they're given a clean slate to do whatever the hell they want. And mm -hmm. I think part of the reason is, is that because they're, they're a democratic country. And right. there's a belief a that, well, it, yes, right? <laughs> At least on paper, sure. they, they're democratic, right? Um, so I think Canadians, the, the Canadian government or Canadian mainstream media kind of looks to India and be like, well, no, no, they're, they're a democracy. They have free media. Like this you know, human rights violations in, in a place like that is, makes no sense. But lo and behold, India ranks below Afghanistan as far as freedom of press index goes, right? Wow. So th there's, there's this, for some reason, the, the, there's not a buy into the seriousness of like Indian interference in affairs here. Uh, I'll give you an example of something that WSO exposed back in the 80s. Um, that there was a network of spies operating out of the consulate general spying on Canadians, uh, primarily sick Canadians, that was exposed by the WSO and others, and those diplomats were then expelled from Canada. So this is not a conspiracy theory. Like These things yeah. actually happen, and there's a long history of it happening. The frustration for us as six is 
you know, we do so much good in this world. We're so, uh, you know, we're engaged in our communities. We're engaged in the mainstream. We still hold true to our, our, our unique identities. Uh, but for some reason, we're not given the benefit of doubt in this conversation. That's something mm-hmm. that frustrated us about the India trip and the, the reporting that came out of it. And it's something that I, I, I'm, I hate saying, but we're probably going to see again with the federal election here coming in October because of, you know, folks like Jagmeet Singh, folks like the right. sick ministers we have, like this, a lot of these tropes will rear their head again come yeah. October. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a useful political um, tool uh, in, in the Indian and uh, it sounds like the Canadian context. Yeah. Well, India loves it because then they can play the we're tough on terror and this or that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why the terror report hurts because, you know, the Indian government put out a press release today, actually. We had a joint meeting with Canada to talk about, for the first time ever, Khalistani Sikh extremism in the terror report. Like, for wow. the Indian government, it's it's a political uh, toy to play with and domestic politics in India, right? Like, that's what it's being used for. And to then, obviously, criminalize any type of dissent or criminalize any type of human rights advocacy um, and just essentially, and this happened again, this doesn't just happen to six in India, but any type yeah. of dissent just immediately being framed as anti-national, uh, right. and deserving of literally mob lynching and extrajudicial uh, yeah. murder. Yeah. And now you, you did touch on what, what I think something that's really uh, wonderful about WSO and its mission statement is that it grounds its sick advocacy in the broader advocacy of human rights. Um, and so I, I'm wondering if um, you've, you can talk about some of the, if, if there is work that you're seeing happening, organizing, whether with WSO or, 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 or outside of that, um, that is this sort of inter-community organizing to deal with, because um, I, I, you know, we were talking about uh, comrades before, and, um, you know, there, I, I, I'd say that I am a comrade, um, <laughs> but I... I also um, identify and am not afraid to call out. So there are such things as reactionary comrades. There are, right. you know, if you, you know, in, in our own history as six, we there's, you know, the 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 um, the extrajudicial uh, killing of six in the 80s and 90s um, was supported by the Communist Party of India, um, who sided with the state, and um, you know, and that's a, a wound. Uh, that has been open since. So, you know, there is a such thing as a, as a right, as a, uh, I guess, a right wing of the left or a reactionary uh, a left. So, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, but I still, you know, personally, I find um, critiques from the left useful um, in understanding sort of the machinations of, of the state and why and how it works um, and, and how it may, um, how and why it might mete out violence uh, against minority groups or, or uh, dissenting groups. And, um, and I wonder if you've seen, because the way I see things is that, you know, a lot of the issues that six face, I believe are, you know, are structural and they affect many, they, like you're touching on, there is an effect, you know, there's a similar repression of other minority groups. Six have a, a kind of a special, we're the cream of the, uh, yes. Know, right. <laughs> <laughs> we stick out no matter where we are in any context. Um, yes. But I wonder if you've seen some of some kind of inter-community uh, organizing and mobilizing against some of these uh, maybe structural inequ- inequities or, or repression. Yeah. 
well, I guess, first of all, in our own community, like in the Sikh community itself, um, at least in Canada, I, I find a lot stronger unity now um, than in the past. I, I think the community itself is very much on the same page. And I think we like to be our own worst you know, critics, uh, which is, sure. I think, not, a, not an unhealthy thing, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it may drives you to do better. Uh, but I'm every day I'm thankful and impressed by my community. I really am. Like I'm mm. not as pessimistic about the Sikh community as a lot of folks are. Cause, and I've dealt with communities across um, uh, from across the world uh, that are from various diverse backgrounds. And I think that's one of the blessings of living in Canada. And I'm always impressed of how well we are able to advocate and protect our interests as a Sikh community. I am very impressed by that, especially with the, the newer millennial generation kind of taking over a lot of institutions from the Sikh community here. Um, we are very much all on the same page about, well, here are some global Sikh issues that we need to be able to be on the same page of. And obviously there's going to be differences amongst all of us, depending on what ideology or, or, or kind of frame of uh, reference that we're using. But we all do see each other eye to eye with each other on major issues. So I think we got to give ourselves credit for being effective at that. Sure. Um, but then, yeah, working with other communities, it's we have very good relationships with um, our, our equivalent in the Muslim community, which is the NCCM, the National Canadian Council of Canadian Muslims. We have a very good relationship with CJA, uh, which is the Jewish advocacy group here, uh, which would be equivalent to us uh, from the Jewish community. We're very good relationship with Tamils in, in public service and other Tamil organizations. And we've actually worked together on like democratic engagement projects. We have a project called We Vote, uh, which mm. is about raising um, uh, voter engagement and churnout and racialized communities. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've come together and put out joint press releases, joint op-eds together on that. Uh, on the terror report, actually, when we went and met uh, Minister Goodell, we actually went with NCCM to go meet them. We went with the Muslim community. Yeah. Yeah. We jointly went and jointly did that meeting. Um, so there's a lot of allyship on these issues. And, if there's anything that strikes fear in like the mainstream, right? Yeah. If there's anything that strikes fear in a lot of these institutions that are not used to seeing racialized folks, is they're really not used to seeing racialized folks coming together and working together. Like they're yeah. that is so crazy to them because and let, like we can't forget like the colonial construct of like divide and conquer, right? Yeah. And to be able to kind of jointly see eye to eye, look. Obviously, uh, you as a Muslim or you as a Jewish fo- a person or you as a Sikh, obviously, we do not see eye to eye on a lot of different things because we come from a different faith background. We come from a different perspective on life. Right. But there are still a lot of intrinsically held beliefs that we all have, that we all share, that we all know that need to be protected. Right. Whether that is the right to freedom of religion, whether that is the right and protection of human rights, uh, irrespective of your background, of your caste, color, creed, orientation, whatever it is, we're here to protect it. Um, And 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 that's the other thing. That's another step uh, beyond just, you know, reaching out to other religious communities. Uh, When Canada was going through its um, same-sex marriage debate here, I I don't even know how long ago this is now, like it feels like ages ago, but like whatever, 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. uh, The WSO, during the heat of that debate, came out in support of same-sex marriage. And it came out in support, again, with the framework of the Constitution and the Charter of Rights, that this is a human right issue. Um, now, as a Sikh or as a, from this background, or that background, or as a Gurdwara or whatever it is, you may disagree or disagree. Uh, but from the frame of reference of from the Constitution and Charter and from the, the intrinsic value that we all hold dear, that of human rights, that of everyone has a right to live their life uh, free of like interference or abuse from the state, 
then we have to support also the right to same-sex marriage, right? Mm-hmm. As as was being pushed by the government at the time. That was a stance that WSO took, and we were one of, if not the only, religious-backed organization to do that. Um, and again, and, and it's kind of strange because the WSO, yes, it's a sick organization, but it's not really a religious organization. Like sure. I don't know if that makes sense. Like we're not we're not the sick research institute or the basic of sicky, right? Like that's sure. not our mandate. Our mandate is very much one of advocacy and human rights advocacy and just protecting sick interests um, for all 500,000 sicks, for everyone who identifies as a sick, um, and not so much about educating on uh, like the way sick Cree or basic sure. sick does. So we take that role very seriously. Like how do we effectively tr- speak for everyone as a collective um, in that space that we operate in? And again, how do we do that also in allyship with other organizations from other communities? Because that only strengthens our advocacy. Well, how, so... Thank you so much for this. And, I, and you know, to wrap up, um, maybe you can tell us a bit about how folks can engage uh, with the work of WSO, whether nationally or in their communities, um, how they can support it. And also uh, tell us about the new podcast that you guys are launching. Yeah, it's, everyone's in the podcast game nowadays, eh? It's like yeah. <laughs> yeah. over, over saturation. See- you're uh, yeah, you know, first coming from the one, for the number one spot, eh? You know, okay, I, I see a whippersnapper, you know. <laughs> yeah 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 I, I, I should actually be undercutting you i don't even know why i'm on my, your show no but uh yeah okay well i'll start with the podcast then so we just launched it actually uh we're only once a month um and what we're looking at is actually again current affairs from a sick canadian perspective um so we don't actually talk much about like sick history like we don't go back from like here's Banda Bahadur saying like this is what he did right like we're, sure, we're not sure. we're not on sick history that kind of level uh we don't talk much about like sick key itself right like uh, there's other podcasts that do that very effectively like sick Cree has a great podcast um you know you guys do a great job in kind of delving into um like history and historical analysis of issues like your afghan podcast show was awesome right i, I was a big fan of that thank one thank you uh, so for the WSO's podcast, it's Ask Canadian Six, the podcast. So if you follow the Ask Canadian Six hashtag and some of the work around that, it's very much a current affairs focus. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at current affairs in the Canadian perspective mostly, but we do touch upon global issues um, from a sick perspective. Like what is a sick angle to, for example, we're, we're in the midst of a SNC-Lavalin scandal in Canada, right? Uh, so what's a can- sick perspective on this scandal? Like that's the type of okay, uh, conversations we're having. Yeah, that's the conversations we're having on on our podcast. Um, we do bonus episodes here and there. So we have a live recording of our terror report panel that we did um, in Surrey as uh, an episode as well. Uh, but yeah, the first week of every month, we're going to be dropping an episode. Uh, it's Ask Canadian Six, the podcast. It's on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast. Uh, the only place we're not, which kind of sucks, is iTunes. <laughs> we're not there yet. We haven't been approved yet. So we'll hopefully uh. that happens soon. Uh, well, I got iTunes. that one on you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's like 80% of the <laughs> podcast market. So, yeah. um, no, so uh, we, we're, you can get us on all those other platforms. There's also, you know, we share the link. We have a SoundCloud as well. So you can just always hop onto the link and listen. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, that's always available. It's myself, Justin Corball, who's a professor here in Humber College, who's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and then we have, we'll, we're going to be bringing on guests in and around those specific current affair issues to speak to it. Um, how can you get involved or engage with the WSO? We're on every major social media platform, essentially, uh, except for TikTok. That, that seems to be blowing up in the, the sick community. <laughs> uh, so we're not on TikTok yet, but 
every single other social media platform you can find us at at world sick org uh org or o-r-g world sick as is world sick uh, so at world sick org you'll find us at every platform at that handle uh, our website is worldsick.org again see we made it very simple for folks uh, <laughs> and you can you can dm us if you dm us six times out of ten it's me who's seeing it so uh, you can also say just Karin, you are an idiot on the one. You have no idea what you're talking about. Just DM me on Twitter. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. Um, it's my favorite medium. Uh, at jsing underscore zero one. J-A-Y-S-I-N-G-H underscore zero one. Um, yeah, and you can engage us on those. We, we're constantly posting up events. We're constantly posting up content in, uh, in different advocacy campaigns we're under. Uh, and uh, we're always open and welcome to uh, not only... Uh, you know, tire pumps uh, and, you know, shabash, but we're also open to, <laughs> we're also open to criticisms uh, and, and, uh, and uh, your advice on how we can better uh, uh, effectively advocate for six in Canada, but then also to work uh, with sick uh, organizations, our sister organizations across the world. Well, fantastic. Again, thank you so much for um, being on the show and for sharing everything. That podcast sounds great. Um, I hope that it flourishes uh, genuinely and that it is um, I, I'd love to see a regular like I'd love to. I wish that there was like a daily that that podcast. Well, I, w- uh, I wish you know what if, if someone one of your generous listeners is willing to donate like two hundred thousand um, dollars. hundred percent. All right. I, just give me or, a cut. I'll make it happen. I'll give you 10 percent. I'll give you a finder. Okay. All right. Uh, sounds good. <laughs> no, but I guess on the podcast conversation, I, I, and, um, it just kind of, you know, I think it's a great medium. It's my favorite medium. It's, you can have honest, yeah. really wholesome, fleshed out conversations. Um, yeah. I'm a big avid listener of uh, podcasts. Uh, I think we have a, I think we need a, almost a portal of like, of, you know, here's all the sick podcasts that are yeah. out there right now. You know, oh, we have the one, I think there's a phone podcast. Um, yeah. you know, Sikri has a podcast and W Soda has a podcast. I'm sure there's more out there that we just don't know of. Um, yeah, but there, I, I think there it's are. such a cool medium. It's such a cool medium. It would be great if we had a place. Maybe that's a project for you. Um, I would say sure. that this is something that you could put on your plate. Yeah, I, I just need more things on my plate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again so much, just cut in, and, and uh, you know, we hope we hope you come on again uh, anytime. And uh, yeah, it was great, great speaking to you. All right, thank you for having me. That was Jaskaran Sandhu. You can find him online on Twitter at Jaskaran Sandhu underscore. Additionally, you can find World Seek Organization on Twitter at WorldSeekOrg or on www.worldseek.org. Finally, you can find us at The One Pod on Twitter. Thanks for listening.